Station, this is Houston. Are you ready for the event? Hello, I'm Mariette DeCristina, Editor-in-Chief of Scientific American. Win the space competition of a lifetime. See your experiment done on the International Space Station. Get a zero-G flight, specialized astronaut training, and more. To find out how, go to youtube.com forward slash space lab. Zero and liftoff. Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast Science Talk, posted on December 8th, 2011. I'm Steve Mursky. One of the most worrisome consequences of global warming is that sea levels could rise substantially this century and beyond. Scientists look back into the geological record to see how carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere correlated to sea level and track a few basic measurements of the atmosphere in current times to predict how much sea level might rise in the future. Ilko Rowling, an ocean and climate scientist at the University of Southampton in England, has studied the paleoclimate record going back 50 million years. On December 6th, at the annual meeting of the American Geophysical Union in San Francisco, Rowling presented calculations indicating that sea level worldwide could rise far more than scientists had previously thought. He also sat down with Scientific American senior editor Mark Fischetti to explain how the basic measurements of carbon dioxide in parts per million in the air and the added heat in the atmosphere that the carbon dioxide creates, called forcing, leads to water, water everywhere. We hear about several different sort of key numbers, and that's part per million of carbon dioxide, or um, the uh, global forcing, uh, which is in watts per square meter. And so give us the, the basic numbers and which ones matter most. Okay, so I think the first number really to, to take into account is the pre-industrial carbon dioxide value, which is around about 280 parts per million in the atmosphere. Now that is, uh, you could say that's the zero level from which we started to increase. We are currently very, very close to 400. So we have increased it a lot, and we've increased it by, by 120 ppms. And to put that in context, during the last ice age, we were at 180, so we were 100 ppms lower than in the, in the pre-industrial state. So we've already increased CO2 by more than from the last glacial maximum to the, pre- to the present interglacial. Okay, so that's the parts per million. So now let's equate that to, to watts per meter squared, and you can explain what the forcing really means. So the, uh, the watts per meter square with CO2, you have to, to convert. So if we have the first doubling of CO2, so we go from 280 to 560 ppms, bearing in mind we're already on 400. But if we go to 560, that equates to roughly 4 watts per meter square of radiative forcing on the planet. That 4 watts per uh, meter square, so you, you, you can do the, the division on, on the, 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 the uh, 400 that we're on at, at the moment. So we're not on a doubling now. So uh, currently we have experienced something between 2 and 3 watts per meter square already since the pre-industrial times. And uh, there's been a bit of global dimming to take into account. And the net forcing we are experiencing at the moment relative to pre-industrial is 1.6. Yeah, let me, um, let me uh, ask you just about the global dimming because that's... Um that's something that I think people don't understand, and it's it's interesting an interesting factor. What causes the global dimming, and how does that affect the numbers? Right. 
So global dimming is uh, essentially when we are uh, when we were combusting, especially sort of coal and, and and you know dirty combustion of fuels, we pump out aerosol particles. So that, you know little combustible combustible particles, uh, soot, etc., into the into the atmosphere, and these particles act as nucleation for clouds, and the clouds are reflective. So the, the clouds reflect a little bit more of the incoming solar radiation. And as a result, the global dimming has, has done exactly what it says. It's slightly reduced the incoming solar radiation and slightly offset the, the radiative forcing from the CO2 increase. And that has, has reduced the value down from, from 2 to two, 3 watts per meter square from the greenhouse gas forcing down to about 1.6 net forcing. Great. And so, so the irony then is that as we burn cleaner sources of fuel, um, we, we, we don't help uh, keep carbon dioxide's effects down. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, what, what's going to happen now is that we are, you know, getting much cleaner in, in the way that we combust things. And as a result, the global dimming is going to reduce and that is going to give us a little bit more warming. But of course, you know, there are enormous benefits from, from cleaner burning. So I'm not advocating that we should stop that. <laughs> right. yeah. No, I don't think we would advocate that either. <laughs> so, okay. So then, um, in, in this session that, uh, we've, we've been doing here at AGU, um, this all kind of comes down to sea level rise and, and what can we expect? Um, so if you could then bring all these together, the parts per million, the, the, the global forcing and sea level rise based on, on the paleoclimate record, which is um, kind of the, the really more recent data that the, the new view is built on. Yeah, so, so what we see is that for a current level of forcing, so 1.6 watts per meter square net forcing, if we look in the relationship that we now recognize between sea level change and climate forcing, we are more or less looking at an equilibrium state, natural equilibrium state where the planet would like to be, um, that is similar to where we were three and a half million years ago. And that's where we're looking at sea level, you know, at least 15 meters, maybe 25 meters above the present. Okay. So we're, we're talking about this period three and a half million years ago, that's the middle Pliocene. And that's where uh, the CO2 concentrations were around about 400 ppms. And if we want to look at CO2 concentrations considerably higher than that, we're going to go much deeper in time. And then we're really going into periods where sea level was, was even higher. We were looking at an ice-free planet, for example, 55 million years ago. And then sea level would be 60, 70 meters above the present. But that's a really scary number that will take an enormously long period to achieve. But the 15 to 20 meters is where the planet at the moment for the current climate forcing in the atmosphere today where the where the, where the climate would like to be if you give it enough time right. and 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 the, the 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 related question then is uh okay uh 15 to 25 meters higher um how long would it take and i know that's the sort of the impossible question but maybe there's a a, a rate um per year decade or something that that might equate to yeah, so the, uh, the the big thing to point out there is that these these are uh, very long-term processes, but what we're doing now is we're warming the planet up so fast, it's like really 
pulling a, an elastic band really, really quickly. So what we're doing is we're creating a disequilibrium and that could lead to very fast steps in the sea level adjustment, in the ice volume adjustment. We can get some measure of how fast this could go by looking at the last interglacial 125,000 years ago. At that time, the sea level had risen to about four or six meters above the present due to natural circumstances. But we have recently reconstructed the rates at which this happened, and that was rates of, of a meter or more per century at which this happened. So the, I think it's very realistic if we want to look at the adjustment to that big disequilibrium that we have ge generated to look at those sort of rates of change that we will eventually achieve in maybe not this century, we'll be working our way up to that, but certainly in the next century we need to, to think about that as the rate of sea level rise. Go to www.scientificamerican.com for more of Mark Fischetti's coverage of the activities at the AGU meeting, as well as reporting from David Biello, our man at the UN climate change negotiations in Durban, South Africa. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet every time a new article hits our website. Our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. For Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.